So we are segueing, wrapping up uh, this three-week study. So for those of you here for us, with us, we take an intentional time. Every time during this year, we just pause. So whatever we're doing or studying, we just actually wrapped up this kind of giant study, the book of Ephesians, uh, which was I thought was fantastic. Um, but, you know, that's just me. We wrapped it up. And we've stopped, paused, and we did this little three-week series, and we do this thing right about this time of the year. We just examine ourselves as a church, and we just kind of say, God, who are we? Who do we want to become? And we ask those same questions of our families, like, Lord, who am I? Who do I want to become? And this year, we do that in the context of wisdom. And as a part of this expression, we talk about our resources. It's, we talk about how we're going to give our lives away and begin to serve and do hospitality in a biblical way and love our neighbor and all these things. And so part of those of you who have been coming for a while know that what we do is on this Sunday in particular, we, we use this as an opportunity to offer our resources and our life to the Lord. And so in your chairs, you'll see these little pledge cards. Those pledge cards are not for anyone here that is not a member or regular attender of our community, right? That's just how we express kind of saying, Lord, what I have and what I, what I, what I have and my things and my stuff belong to you. And as part of our worship as a family, we are going to honor you by giving back to you what belongs to you. It's not really anything necessarily say, hey, the church is requiring. It's none of that. It's just saying, you, Lord, we love you enough to say we believe enough in this church and this community and what it does to say, Lord, you get our resources because they're yours anyway. And so that pledge card is here. And at the end of worship today, we're, you're going to have an opportunity to just kind of honor the Lord and come up front and just drop it in one of these baskets. Again, it is not an honor or shame thing. It is, it is not for you that aren't part of this community. Nobody, nobody cares. Um, this is part of our expression. And it's an important part of what we do from a leadership standpoint because then we're able to set budgets and go, man, how are we going to give this money away this year? And that's what we think about in terms of our budget as a church. We think, how are we going to be able to give all this away? We love that. Okay, so it helps us dream. And that's why pledges are important because it helps give us a snapshot of what we're working with as we pray and dream about 2024 as elders and leaders. And so important things. So that being said, put that aside for a second, but it is there and we are going to get to it in a moment. But what we're really doing this morning is saying we're putting a bow on this picture, this this idea out of Proverbs chapter 3 that talks deeply about wisdom. And we explored wisdom over these past weeks with this definition in mind. A wise person, a person that walks in biblical wisdom, is at a place where their heart and their life beat in harmony with God and his redemptive work. That's what it means to be wise. Being wise doesn't mean we have great knowledge. A biblical perspective, being wise means that our lives and our hearts beat in harmony with God and his redemptive work in the world. That's the end goal and the pursuit of a person that actually trusts, follows, and honors the Lord. Is it, God, I want my life to beat in harmony with yours. I want the things that I think to be the things that you think. I want the things that I do to be the things that you do. For you are my God, right? So that's what biblical wisdom means. We've looked at these things in that window, and we're using Proverbs chapter 3 as that picture because Proverbs is a book about wisdom. It's part of that wisdom literature and scripture that runs through those five books in the middle there. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And they're all written really different from the Old, other te old, other old Testament books. The Old Testament books are typically written from a historical perspective of Israel. I have a little issues here with this gizmo. Written from a historical perspective on Israel and their relationship with the Lord. And the wisdom books are written from a pastoral perspective, not a historical perspective. They're written from this idea of saying, what does God desire for our lives as we trust and follow him? 
They're pastoral books. And Proverbs chapter 3 is this incredible picture of a person or a community that says, God, we want to be in harmony with you. And the wisdom there says, be in harmony with God and don't be in harmony with the world. And so we've explored it from the idea of trust and honor for the first couple of weeks. So what does it mean to truly trust the Lord? What does it mean to truly honor the Lord? Meaning God gets the first and the best place in our lives and those things and those resources. And this morning we're going to explore from the idea of obedience. What does it mean to truly follow the Lord? To put that trust and honor into place. And what we're going to see is that there are two specific things that the, those that honor the way of the Lord and follow the way of the Lord and trust the way of the Lord, there are two specific things that they do, and there are six very specific things that they don't. And so we're going to look at them in their context, and we're going to have to do it pretty briefly this morning. But it's really good stuff, and, and we're going to put a bow on this uh, by getting ourselves to that place. What does it look like to be wise people who follow the Lord? So if you've got your Bible, open up to Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to be in a, kind of the last, not quite the last, but the 10 verses there towards the end, and we're going to explore this idea of what it means to follow the Lord as people who are wise. So let's pray together. Lord, what an incredible privilege it is to be a part of a community, to have people that we love and trust share their hearts with us. You know, you can very much go to church and never be a part of one. And yet we're not called to that. We are not called to simply gather and be entertained. We are called to be a part of something that is beyond our understanding, where we know and are known, and that gets complicated and messy. So as we study your word, we don't just want to be people, a person, an individual, a family who is wise. We want to be a church who is wise. We want to be a church that cares. We want to be a church that allows our heart to beat in harmony with yours. And Lord, the truth is we don't do it well, but it's all a process of becoming like you. So Lord, we turn our time over to you this morning. We ask you to teach our hearts. We've been talking about wisdom. We've been talking about letting our lives be in harmony. We've been talking about trusting. We've been talking about honoring you. How do we put those things in practice? What are the specific ways that the wise honor and trust you? How do those manifest? And maybe what we'll see this morning is what they don't do. And how we differ from the ways of the world. Take a moment in your own heart this morning and just kind of in this little space, ask the Lord to teach you. Lord, teach my heart. Teach me something new. Teach me to be wise. Teach me to trust. Teach me to honor. Teach me to follow. Just Lord, teach my heart. Take a moment and pray for that person around you, beside you. Maybe they're your husband or your wife or a friend, or maybe you're here for the first time and, and you don't know somebody, but just pray for that stranger that's sitting uh, in front of you or beside you or whatever. And just be in the habit of praying for other people. Like, this is an important part of what we do. We want to be a community that really deeply cares about the spiritual growth of people around us. So pray for them. Ask God to move in their life. Lord, we release our hearts to you. We turn our time and your word over. We ask that you would instruct us and teach us and equip us and prepare us so that we might be wise. 
We love you and we thank you for Jesus. Amen. So I'd love to have time to kind of give you a pretty great recap of where we've been and how it got us here, but we don't. And so we're just going to jump straight away into Proverbs chapter 3 with this caveat in mind, right? The things that I just mentioned. We are pursuing this idea of biblical wisdom. It should be the great pursuit of the follower of Christ. I want my heart and my life to be in harmony with God and his redemptive work. Like That's why I exist. I don't exist for myself. I don't exist for my own glory. I don't exist to make a name for myself or even leave my own legacy. I exist as a follower of Christ to be in harmony with God and his redemptive work. Meaning, God, I want to think what you think. I want to do what you do. I want to be where you are. That's the goal of the Christ follower. And that should be the goal of your family. How do we do that? And it should be the goal of our church. How do we do that? Well, this Proverbs, this whole chapter is really about that. It's saying, well, first you've got to be able to fully trust the Lord. I'm not talking about like half-heartedly, God, we trust you when things are good. I'm talking about when there are no answers, when everything is really scary and freaky and up in the air, like, God, I fully trust you. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding and how I think things might work out or what might happen. I'm going to lean fully on your understanding, and I'm going to let you straighten my paths. I'm also going to learn to honor you, which means I'm not going to be about honoring myself. I'm not going to be about elevating me. I'm going to be about decentralizing me. You must become greater. I must become less, which is what John 3.30 says. I'm going to honor you by saying this, Lord, my stuff in my life belong to you. You get the first and the best. And I'm going to give the first and the best to the things that matter to you. We talked about what it means to fear the Lord, to honor the Lord, to give back to the Lord, right? This morning, what happens when we begin to meld those together, this trust and honor? obedience happens. We begin to do the things that God does. We begin to desire to be where God is. And he's going to give us a few examples of some very specific things that those that are wise, that follow the ways of the Lord do, and six things that they just don't do. And so I think it's going to be an interesting look, because normally we're looking at, hey, this is what we need to do, and do it not. We stay away from the don'ts and the negatives, but the psalm, or the uh, proverb here says, no, there are some things that you don't do as a wise person. And so we're going to explore those. We're going to do it all really quickly because we're running out of time, but we're going to um, kind of jump in these last 10 verses, and then we're going to break them apart. So let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 21 this morning. So my son, preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. They will be life for you, an ornament of grace to your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, you will, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being snared. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll give you tomorrow. When you have it with you now, do not plot against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. And do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways. So you begin to hear those do nots. But right at the beginning of that, we get these first two things that a wise person who follows the Lord, who trusts the Lord, and who honors the Lord is called to do. And that is this. To preserve sound judgment and discernment. So the wise person, the wise 
person that has fully surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ, says this, that I want to make sure that I preserve two things, sound judgment and discernment. So let's start off with some definitions so that we're on the same page. So the idea of preserving means that we are going to protect something from being destroyed or being decayed, right? Like that's the idea of preserving something. If you want it to stay um, functional, you have to protect it. You have to preserve it from destruction or decaying or kind kind of just fading into irrelevance. So to preserve something means that I'm going to be active in making sure that it lasts, So then we have the ideas that we're called to preserve. We have sound judgment and we have discernment. And sound judgment is simply a calm, self-disciplined, self-controlled mind. That's all sound judgment is. It's the idea that I have a mind that is calm and that is centered and that is full of self or self uh, is full of excuse me is full of discernment and this part of us that just says God. I'm trusting you. It's a calm, well-balanced mind that has released itself fully to the Lord. Discernment is the idea that the Holy Spirit helps us think like God. So for the person that follows Christ, discernment is not going, I need to use my best judgment. Discernment is saying, the Holy Spirit lives in me to help me think like God thinks. So when we discern something right from wrong, for example, we're not using our own judgment to decide what that is. We're relying upon the Holy Spirit. And as Charles Spurgeon once said, discernment is not the idea of just seeking right from wrong or understanding right from wrong. It's the understanding of right from almost right. So being this concept that I need the Holy Spirit to not just show me what good and evil is, but to show me the path I should take when both seem right. So the idea is that we are called to fight for, right, to protect, to work towards, to make sure they don't disappear or be destroyed or be decayed, sound judgment and discernment. And sound judgment is that calm, well-balanced mind, right, that relies on the Lord, that has self-control and discipline. It just says, God, you are. And discernment is the idea that says, God, I can't do this on my own. I want to think like you. So if we're called to preserve those things, right, those are the things that we are called to, to actually do, what is their value? Well, he goes on to say this. Here's their value. Essentially, the value is that we, as people that do this, we can wear sound judgment and discernment as ornaments around our necks. They become ornaments to grace your neck, right? So think about jewelry. When you're walking down the road and you have this incredible thing, what do people see? They see that necklace. They see that jewelry. They see that thing draped around your neck, and it brings beauty to who you are. He said sound judgment and discernment are ornaments around your neck. So the wise wear them. In other words, when people see you as a wise person who trusts the Lord, they think that person is responsible, and they're calm, and they're well-balanced, and they have a disciplined mind, and they trust the Lord, and he guides their decisions. They're reliable. It adorns you. People see something other than you and your ego, right? They see this ornament of grace around your neck of sound judgment and discernment. They will go help you go on your way in safety. 
so that your feet will be secure and will not stumble, right? So when we, when we allow the Lord to teach us how to think like God, we can ensure our safety. And we're not simply talking about physical safety, right? The promise of the Christ follower is never that God will keep you safe. Safety in this term is something fully different. Safety in this term means that we have protection from the evil one, right? We've been working through this concept in Proverbs. It protects us from the ways of the world. And make sure that our foot will not be caught in a snare, right? We will not be trapped. We'll be safe and we will not stumble. When we go to lie down, you won't be afraid. And when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. When we adorn our lives with sound judgment and discernment, when we trust the Lord with a calm, well-balanced mind, right, that is disciplined, And when we trust the Lord to teach us to think like he does, one of the byproducts is peace. Think about what he says there. He says, when you lie down, you won't be afraid. And when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. When you lay down at night and you close your eyes, what runs through your mind? Does it today's events, the fears of what might unfold, what's going to happen tomorrow, like what do I have to accomplish or What do I do? Or is it the things that I've done and I'm ashamed of those? You know that phrase like when you've you've done something, how do you sleep at night? Or how do you sleep with yourself at night knowing that? Like the heart and mind of a person that is steeped in sin and wickedness knows no rest. It's just true. They know no rest. But someone that has given their life, the wise person that has given their life to sound judgment and discernment, to say, God, I want a calm, well-balanced, disciplined mind, and I want you to teach me to think like you, rests well. Because they're not afraid. I'm not afraid of what tomorrow may bring because the Lord will be my guide. I'm not anxious because sound judgment is about having a calm mind. I'm not afraid. And I'm not ashamed because I know the things that I've done and I've failed at, I've confessed, I've asked for forgiveness for, I've followed the ways of the Lord. He has saved me and redeemed me, and therefore my rest will be sweet. I think a lot of us, like we entertain these ideas of, of sound judgment or calm mind or saying, Lord, I want you to teach me how to think or help me think like you, but we don't fully give in to them, and so we have this tension that we wrestle with. And peace doesn't usually mark our lives. When we lay down at night, it's not the sweet rest of safety and comfort that we find. It's the time where we close our eyes that our minds begin to rake us over the I should'ves, I would'ves, I could'ves. The failures, the shortcomings, the shame, as Jake and, and, and Gabe kind of alluded to, this idea that the enemy wants to feed you these things. And a person that's not wise and that's not walking in sound judgment, not walking in discernment, entertains those thoughts. They give them life. They begin to say, you know, yeah, that's, I don't deserve that. I shouldn't have done that. I am a failure. I am worthless. My wife, I don't know why she loves me. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't want to wake up. Like These are the things that riddle the heart of a person who has not surrendered to sound judgment and discernment. And that's why our our author here says essentially this, that if you trust the Lord and you honor the Lord, then the wise person presses those things together and it comes out in a practice of truth. And a practice of truth, of trusting and honor the Lord, is one that says, okay, if I trust you and I honor you, then I'm going to put those things in practice in the way that I think and live. 
I'm going to have a calm, well-balanced, confident mind, confident in Christ, not in me. Self, not reliant, disciplined. And I'm going to think like you think, Lord, not because I can, but because I trust your Holy Spirit to lead me in that path. So this is kind of where he starts off. And he goes, okay, so this is what the wise do, right? Which is great, but really, really hard to fully understand its practical side. So he says this, let me tell you how these things play out. So if that's what wisdom looks like, let me show you what wisdom doesn't look like. And this is where he begins to explain these do-nots. So let's just kind of work through the list a little bit. He says, have no fear of sudden disaster disaster or the ruin that overtakes the wicked. So the wise don't have irrational fears, right? That's basically what he's saying. The wise don't have irrational fears. So what are irrational fears? Well, irrational fears are fears that we entertain or that we have that have no real threat to them, right? There's no actual real existing threat. We're just afraid of it. So we're afraid that as we walk out of the door today that a meteor might come screaming out of the sky and land right here and we're all going to die. And so therefore, I'm not going to leave the house, right? Irrational fears are the part of us that says, I'm not going to say hello or engage in the life of another person because they might hurt me. That is true, but it's irrational because there's no actual threat that that person would hurt you. And so we entertain that and say, I'm going to wall off my heart to protect myself from being hurt from a threat that's not actually even there. And that's kind of what he's beginning to allude to, right? Like the wise, right? The wise have no fear of sudden disaster. Because the wise that trust and honor the Lord, the wise that have put their hope and faith in Jesus Christ, the wise for you and I that have been fully redeemed know that our promise on this earth is eternal life that begins in this very moment. The abundant life is today. I'm not afraid of the natural disaster or the thing that might suddenly happen because I am secure in Christ and my eternity rests in him. So if that happens, which is a slim or no chance, but if it happens... I trust in Jesus, and he will take me home. So he says that we're not going to walk around with irrational fears, which is a very worldly thing to do, right? And he says not only that, we're not going to walk around with irrational fears, but we're not going to entertain the fear, right? The fear that overtakes the wicked. So the wicked are those that are living according to the ways of the world. This is another irrational fear. They always live in fear of what will happen when they are exposed. When you're living in sin, when you're living in the ways of the wicked, there is always the feeling like eventually I'm going to be found out. Eventually I'm going to be caught. Eventually this is going to come to light. Eventually the authorities will catch up to me or the people that love me will begin to know who I truly am. They'll see the real me. The shuffling that I've been doing with resources, with money, with time, with the things that are immoral that I've stacked up in my life, eventually those things are going to come out. I can't keep up this charade forever. And the wicked live in the fear of being ruined. So he says the wise person, right, who trusts and honors and follows the Lord, who has surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ, has no fear of being ruined. They have been fully exposed already in Christ. They have confessed their sins. They are living in a way that attempts to honor him. And therefore, there is no fear of ruin that comes on the wicked because you have been protected in Christ and God has redeemed you through Jesus. And even on that day of judgment, 
You will stand before Almighty God, draped in the righteousness of Christ, fully saved and redeemed. So he says an irrational fear is what the wicked or the worldly have, right? That irrational fear is they walk around afraid of calamity, and they walk around afraid of being exposed. For the person who trusts in honor of the Lord, we don't fear the irrational because my confidence is fully in Christ. It's fully rooted in the Lord, and I'm not afraid of being exposed. I've been fully exposed to Christ. I know who I am. I've been set free, and I am redeemed. This is kind of how he goes on to kind of echo that. He says, right, we don't live in the sphere of sudden disaster. For the Lord will keep your confidence, and he will keep your foot from being snared. So those that truly follow the ways of the Lord, the wise, he's my confidence, not me. I'm not going to be irrational in my fear. I'm not going to be a crazy person with my fear. And I'm not going to irrationally be afraid of being exposed like the wicked because my confidence is in Christ. He makes my paths straight. So the wise, they don't have irrational fears. The second thing we see there is the wise don't procrastinate generosity. Look at that next verse, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those Oh, excuse me. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it. So the number two is they don't withhold kindness. I switched those two up. They don't withhold kindness. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it. These are really interesting, right? Because most of us would think, like, I don't withhold goodness or kindness from people, right? We don't typically do that. But the reality is we actually do that a lot, um, we withhold kindness all the time to teach lessons, to demonstrate something to our spouse, to show them um, kind of what they have and how lucky they are. Um, we withhold goodness a lot when it's our, in our ability to demonstrate it. If it doesn't have a return for us, oftentimes we withhold kindness. We do that for a lot of reasons. We do it because a lot of our hearts are fueled with a sort of envious jealousy thing. Um, we look at the lives of other people and we get this sort of weird picture of our own life and maybe that we deserve something that we don't have and therefore are frustrated that they have it. Social media fuels a whole lot of this garbage because it propagates uh, pictures of lives that aren't accurate or real and therefore we develop spirits of jealousy that shouldn't be there. Uh, spirits of envy that shouldn't be there. We look at other people's families and the vacations they have and the things they get to do and all of these things, and we begin to have spirits of, of envious and envy, jealousy, and things that kind of crop up, and we entertain them. And therefore, what we do is we begin to be withholders of kindness because we think certain people may or may not deserve those things, and we tend to do it a lot. We do it at work. We have the ability to give in good things to people and be kind, and we withhold them so they would know how good they may have it. Or withhold them when it's our and our ability to give out goodness. A wise person who trusts in the Lord is a purveyor of beautiful things. Like you love to give goodness and kindness. Like you just love to do it. And I started thinking about a lot of these things as they pertain to our marriages because we spent this weekend talking so much about the idea of marriage and what we do. But is that how you approach the people in your life that matter the most? Are you a purveyor of goodness? You know, that, that verse there is interesting. Don't withhold goodness, right, from those who deserve it. There's people in your life that are important to you. Be kind to them. Be per a person that is, like, overwhelmingly encouraging. 
Like send that text, call that person, tell them you're grateful. They give you time, honor them. If you see them doing things, honor them, tell them. Not one of us in here who has ever been bestowed a great compliment by someone or someone that has just blessed us has ever regretted it and said, man, I wish they wouldn't have done that. It's good for the soul. It is good for the soul. So we have this idea, right? Like don't be irrational with your fears. Don't withhold kindness. Look at that third one there. goes on to say, don't procrastinate generosity, right? Don't say to your neighbor, come back later. I'll give it to you tomorrow when you have it with you today. Procrastinating generosity is something we do a lot because we love to give. We love to serve. We love to honor. We just love to do it in our own time. Like, if it's convenient for me and in my life rhythms, I'll love it. I'm a part of it, man. Absolutely. But when it bucks those rhythms or those processes, we tend to become really less generous with our hospitality or with our time. So the example there that the proverb says is that if your neighbor comes over to you and you have it, don't tell him to come back tomorrow. Give it to him today. And the, the proverb doesn't tell us what the what is. doesn't really care what the what is. It could be anything. Hey, I need a ride and help with my kids. Can I borrow a cup of sugar? Can I, whatever this thing may be, right? Like, hey, can you give me a hand with this or, or whatever? Or my wife and I are, are struggling. Do you have a few minutes to just sit down and talk? Or, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. The proverb actually doesn't address the what at all. It just says that if your neighbor comes and asks and you have it, be generous. Don't procrastinate. Don't put it off till tomorrow because it doesn't fit into your life rhythms. And I started thinking about the context of this, right? Like, and how valuable this is because what if the Lord treated us this way? Like, what if that was how the Lord saw us? Like, hey, Lord, I come to you and my heart is broken. My family and I are struggling. We're not really sure where to put all this stuff. We've had a really tough and crazy and wild year, and I'm afraid. And Jesus says, man, Trev, I don't know if you've been paying attention. I'm so glad you're here, but I don't know if you're paying attention. i got a lot going on in Ukraine and Israel right now. Like, if you could swing back by tomorrow, it would really help a brother out, you know. Now, of course, a ridiculous example and terrible theology, but you get the idea, right? Like, God has just been so generous with kindness. Like he wants you to be that same thing. He doesn't want you to, to delay it. Like if somebody needs something, be a part of giving it. Like give your generosity away all the time, even when it's inconvenient. It's hard, but you have it. So bless the people around you. It goes back to that principle we talked about last week. The stuff that you have doesn't belong to you anyway. It's the Lord. So be joyful in giving it away. Oftentimes when you turn someone away, it belittles them and it puts you in a place of power, right? You think someone's coming back tomorrow after you've told them, hey, I can't really today, but if you come, they're, they're going to feel bad. They're going to be belittled. And now you have this place of power and it's this weird dynamic. And essentially giving is a place of displaying or displacing that power and basically saying, of course, everything I have is I'd love to honor you with or give you. Like, don't be someone who delays or procrastinates generosity. All right, so don't do that. The fifth one that we, or the, um, the fourth one that we see there is don't be harmful, especially to those who trust you, right? Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Now, most of us are going to be agreeing to that. Like, I'm not harmful. Like, I would never want to harm anyone. Like, I don't want to be a harmful person. That's pretty much true for the most part. None of us do. And we certainly, and if we do harm people, we certainly don't plot to harm them, which is like, I have this plan and I harbor this thing and I'm going to do everything I can to destroy you. That's not how we think. 
But most of the harm that we do, we're able to kind of semantically dance around because it's not physical. We're not trying to harm people physically, but we sure will plot to harm them verbally. Have you ever crafted a text message that's got an amazing stinger right in the middle of it? Have you ever worked on that post that you know somebody else can't technically reply to because it really sticks it to them? Have you ever typed a text to your husband, deleted it, typed it again, rewritten it, spoke the text, framed it out, and then sent it? And we're like, man, can't wait till he reads that thing. We plot to harm all the time. We do. We plot to harm, right? It reminds me of that great episode of Seinfeld, which everything in my life boils back down to Seinfeld episodes, where George is at this meeting and he's eating a ton of shrimp. And one of the guys in the meeting says, hey, George, the ocean called. They're running out of shrimp. And everybody laughs. And George is humiliated. So he comes back and he spends weeks thinking of this perfect line. I'm going to get him on a comeback. The guy ends up taking another job in another city. So George flies to this other city, sets up a fake meeting with this great line. He sits at this table and he's crafted, he's thought about, he's plotted, he's plotted, and he's plotted. And he gets a bunch of shrimp again and he gets the guy to give the line. He eats all these shrimp and he says, hey, George, the, the ocean called and they're running out of shrimp. And George stops and he goes, hey, Riley, well, the jerk store called and they're running out of you, right? It's his perfect comeback. And then the guy goes, oh, yeah, what's the matter? You're their all-time bestseller. And he just gets crushed again, right? But he plotted for weeks to have this great comeback, to really stick it right to that person who heard him. We do the exact same thing all the time. We harbor anger against the people in our lives, and we wait for the right time to get them back. Or to pull it back out of my sack of things and make sure that you know I heard it and I remember it. The caveat in here that makes this even more difficult is he says, don't plot harm against those, your neighbors, those who trustfully live near you. Meaning that we even have a more, we have more of a responsibility to not try and harm our neighbors. And our neighbors in this context is not necessarily just the people that live next to us, which it does say they live right near us. But neighbors biblically is those people in our lives that trust us. Do you know your spouse trusts you with their very life? You have a responsibility not to plot harm against them, meaning that you don't get the right to craft whatever it is that you want to say to make them hurt. You don't get the right to develop this whole line of thinking so that you can stick it to somebody else, maybe your child, to teach them a lesson. Don't plot harm, especially to those who trust you. Look, you're living in relationship with people. The wise person will be hurt and will forgive and will love, right? The worldly person will be hurt and they will plot and they will get back. You want to destroy your marriage? Live that way. So he says, don't do that, right? Number five, don't blame others. Listen to that next verse. Do not say to my neighbor, come back later, I'll give you that tomorrow uh, when you have it with you now. Then he goes on to say, do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully next to you. Do not accuse a man for no reason when he has done no harm. Don't blame other people. 
They haven't done you harm. Don't blame them. Most of you are sitting here like me going, I don't really do that anyway. Of course you do it. We do it all the time. We blame everyone else for everything in our life. We blame our parents for how we were raised. We blame our spouse for the, uh, the situation that we're in. They didn't do this. They don't make enough money. They're responsible for all these things. We blame the world. We are victims and victims and victims. We take no responsibility. We're raising a generation of people that take no responsibility. Everything is somebody else's fault, and we blame and we blame and we blame. And psychology actually actually has a term for it. It's called projection. When we project our own shortcomings, mistakes, and failures on someone else to protect our own ego, we blame. And it's really easy to do because if we blame other people, we are not responsible for our actions. Our proverb says a wise person doesn't blame other people. They take accountability essentially for their behavior. They count accountability, like this is my life. I'm responsible for how I think. It's not your fault. Look, not most of us, I would say, did not grow up in a perfect environment. That's true. Broken families. Why? Because we have broken parents. If you're a parent, you recognize this is your plight also. Like, we don't know how to do this. We are making things up as we go. And what worked for one kid, for some reason, does not work for the other. And we are trying our best to navigate these things, right? Like, of course, we're raised by broken people. So all of your issues aren't your parents. You are a grown person. You can take responsibility for your actions. That doesn't mean that you don't have obstacles to overcome. We all do. But it's not their fault. It's not your spouse's fault that you're not happy. It's not your spouse's fault that they didn't supply all of your kind of self-actualized ego needs. The truth is, is that you have the choice of how you want to live. You can harbor resentment and anger. Those are certainly your things to do. And you can blame your spouse and you can live that way. But our proverb says a wise person doesn't do it. They don't do it. Don't be a person that blames others for your own things, right? That's part of that wisdom picture. And then finally, there's this picture here that says, don't desire the ways of the worldly. Listen to that last verse and we'll tie all these things together with this. Do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways. I chose the world worldly there, and I'll tell you why. Do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways, right? So the wise, right, don't envy the ways of the world or the ways of the wicked. So violent there is an interesting word. I'm going to give you a little side note. This thing is causing me all kinds of issues today. I'm going to give you a little side note that really doesn't have a lot to do with anything, but it's, I think it's kind of interesting and important in understanding how important language is. So a lot of different translations translate that word violent um, to mean something else. Uh, the truth is it actually just means violent. It's the Greek word, I mean the Hebrew word, Hamas. The word Hamas in Hebrew is the word violent. Now, you might be thinking, hey, I've heard a lot about Hamas lately. They're the ruling body there in the Gaza Strip. Like, does that mean that they named their government after the word violent? The answer is yes and no. Language is really interesting. It's no because technically um, it's an acronym in Arabic that stands for the Islamic uh, Resistance Movement or uh, Reliance Movement. And um, it also in Arabic means zeal. That's what the word Hamas means. But in Hebrew, which dates back to at least when this book was written, which was 7, 000, or 700 years before Christ and probably thousands of years before that, it actually has one translation. That translation is violence. So we can kind of soften it with some of your translations that say whatever, but it really just means violence. And so, yes, the idea of Hamas is named after in that amazing way language works, the both and. Neither here nor there. 
But what's interesting about this for me is that we don't tend to think of ourselves as violent people because we equate violence to those physical things again. But violence is actually everything and who we are apart from the Lord. We are his very enemies. We are actually waging active war apart from the Lord. We are trying everything we can do to elevate ourselves and destroy anything else. The Bible actually tells us that we are enemies of God. We are aliens. We are fighters. A lot of us spend a lot of our time desiring and envying the ways of the world, the ways of the violent people, the ways of a people that have chosen to elevate themselves at all costs, to push other people down, to do whatever it takes to make sure that my ideas are heard, my ways are heard, I'm understood, and we will violently, physically, emotionally, and otherwise, and sometimes even spiritually, destroy anything and other people in our path until we are heard. We become wrecking balls of pain. That's what the world does. The world says, this is about you. Protect yourself at all costs. Do whatever it takes. Proverbs says, don't envy any of the ways of the violent man. Any of his ways. Not just the violent ways, but any of the ways that he thinks and lives, the way he pursues things, because they're done in a way that is contrary or in violent aggression against God. Don't desire the ways of the world. So you start coupling all these things together, and it gets really interesting, right? It gets really, really interesting, this place where we are called to be holy and totally different from the world, to trust and honor and follow. This becomes who we are in Christ. Part of the great call of the Christian is that we have surrendered our life to Jesus Christ, and therefore we are no longer at war against the Lord. We are no longer his enemies. We have been rectified and redeemed and rescued, and therefore we have been set on a path of righteousness. Yet these things still find their ways into our life, and the wise fight against them. The wise push back. The wise decide that this will not be something that takes root in my life. I won't be irrational with my fears. I won't do things like withhold generosity. I will give away kindness. I'm not going to blame others or do harm to other people. I'm not going to pursue the way of the wicked. I want to honor you, Lord. Why? I want to be of sound mind and of discernment. I want to be a person that wears those things around my neck. So, Lord, teach me to think like you. When it comes to our resources and our time, it's the same way. We say, God, I want to give to you what belongs to you. It's a part of our way of closing out our worship this morning and tying a bow on this whole little small series that we kind of kind of threw together this, this past few weeks. It's kind of saying, God, we want to honor you as a church with our resources. And so if you're a part of this community, as we close our time in worship and as Don and our worship team lead us, we're going to invite you as we stand and sing together to bring your pledge card or that offering. Or if you just want to write a prayer request on that thing or just say, God, I, I, I want to honor you with, and I want to trust you or I want want to follow you with these things and write them down in that envelope, whatever it is, drop them in these baskets, return to your seat, and we're going to close our, song, our time in worship this morning. Um, but let's do that by saying, God, we want to be wise. We want uh, sound judgment discernment to adorn our necks. We want to be people that don't live according to all these ways of the world. We don't want to be irrational. We don't want to have these fears, all these things we talked about, Lord. We want to push back. We want to honor you. And then the few verses there in the early part of Proverbs says that we should never let love and faithfulness leave us. Like that is who we are marked to be as a church, to be marked by our love and by our faithfulness. Let's pray together. 
Lord, I know this was a long Sunday. I know that we had a lot going on. I know we jumbled through that stuff this morning. But the truth is, it's, it's powerful. It seems a little bit distant from us sometimes, but the truth is, it's not. If we really think about it, we become people that are very accustomed to living in the world. We let the lies of the world and the ways of the world seep into our soul. We let irrational fears move us. We let the desire to control our things uh, move us. We let our fears of what might come or our envy or our jealousy dictate how we give goodness and kindness away. Lord, the world seizes our soul. It does. But you call us to be totally different, totally different if we will. Like We are called to have sound judgment and discernment draped and adorned around our neck as instruments of grace. Lord, we are called to think like you and have calm minds and we want to be wise. We want to put our trust and our honor into practice to follow you. So, Lord, teach us what that looks like. And for some of us this morning, if that means we honor you with our resource, then we do that. Whatever that might mean, we give our whole hearts to you and to the community because this is what it means to be the church. As we close our time in worship and you kind of feel led, feel free to walk down and drop your, uh, your, your offering card in there this morning. Again, if you're here for the first time or a guest, don't, don't even let this be a part of your story here. That's just for these folks here. But see how our church operates and, and talk to yourself about what it means to be part of a community and just worship the Lord. If you want to write a prayer request and drop it in there, we'd love the opportunity to pray over all those. But let's close our time in worship this morning by offering God what truly is his anyway and worshiping and glorifying him as we trust and honor and follow Jesus together. Yeah. 
Amen. Our prayer is that you would be empowered as you walk out of this place by the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, I want to be a person who is wise. I want my heart to beat in harmony with you and what you're doing in the world. I want to think and I want to live. I want to honor you with my life. I want to be wise. I want to trust you. I want to honor you and I want to follow you and let love and faithfulness be your guide. Go in peace.